five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. podcast on the internet. The following program is brought to you in living color on NBC. Look at that face, just look at it. Look at that fabulous face of yours. My new first look, I took at it. This is a face that the world adores. Look at those eyes, as cheery and bright as can be. Look at that nose, it glows for us all to see. As for your smile, it's lyrical, friendly and warm as a Christmas day. Every girl, every boy sees the meaning of joy in that certainly bring you all those things. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. What, what are you doing here? I'm leaving you, Harold. I'm fed up. I have had it. Well, what's wrong now? I can't stand that crummy apartment anymore. I want some decent furniture. I want a color television and a stereo. And I want some decent clothes so we can go to fancy places. And I want a new car to go there in. And I want a fur coat so I won't get cold. Who do you think I am, Santa Claus? <laughs> Christmas. What a Christmas. I have been to Australia, Africa, Asia, 
Honey, I've traveled 30,000 miles without a stop. I'm pooped. Well, did you leave the sleigh out, honey? Why? Because we need a bottle of milk for in the morning. <laughs> That was the great Dean Martin with um, lovely Santa Claus. Just like the guys behind me right now. <laughs> it's part of a theme for today's show. It's transition, as they say. Um, how is everybody? We are um, we're in the 27th, which if I'm not mistaken takes us to um, 777 days since 9-11-2001. And if I'm not mistaken, 1,111 weeks. And I, and I came upon this information uh, thanks to Ellis Taylor, who has done a great breakdown. I put it up on Facebook on my Facebook page. If you're um, a friend of mine on Facebook, you can read it. I also posted it on Twitter. So if you want to read more about um, how Ellis sees this time and the accrual of the number seven, he believes that something very significant is about to happen. I'm not sure he's entirely optimistic about the thing that's going to happen, though. So... It's just a, an interesting side note for the time that we're in. And I just, I love that Dean Martin uh, clip. I, I think I play it every year. And the reason I love it is because it is so, in its own way, unabashedly politically incorrect. Like that was just how people did things. I think that's 1968. Like today, oh, there goes another, there goes another vaccinant down the highway i can't i i see so many ambulances now granted not all of them are going to be vaccinants but i would guess that somewhere between 70 to 80 percent so when i say a vaccine sometimes it's on the road and sometimes it's just somebody who's unable to complete their mission and i see it frequently it's uh, kind of uncanny. Well, it's not really uncanny. The numbers are just out there. So anyway, the Dean Martin special, I played every year, at least that opening clip. And it's just so politically incorrect. All the way down to the, uh, the female reindeer at the end. Like, that could never get made now. And if it did get made, the, rain, the female reindeer would be trans. They'd, they'd be drag queens. That's what they'd be. They'd all be drag queens. Um, Santa 
would have a rainbow beard and uh, might be Lizzo. That's that's what that special would look like today. And uh, Dean Martin was kind of, he he was a underrated uh, actor when it came to physical comedy, like just those small little adjustments he made to his face when they were putting the Santa makeup on him, like the crossing of the eyes, and you know, and even when they put the big red bulbous nose. Like the inside joke is, well, that's how his nose really is because he he drinks up a storm. And Dean Martin didn't drink all that much. He was actually a teetotaler. Every now and then, I think you would catch him on the Carson show. He'd have a, a few pops because maybe he felt uncomfortable on Carson. But um, by and large, Dean Martin was was not the 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 rabid drinker that he portrayed himself as. He was smart. He was really smart. It reminds me of this story of this guy, Norm Cash, who used to play for the, the Detroit Tigers. He played first base for the Tigers. So when Cash would go out, back in the day, baseball were, baseball players were big boozers. They loved getting smashed. It didn't matter what team it was. It was just a pastime. They loved getting smashed. So when Cash would go out with his Tiger teammates and buddies, they'd either go to a club or a bar sometimes a house party what he would do is he would um get a glass of iced tea because it looked brown whoops um i get this fucking thing he would get a glass of iced tea because it would look brown and he would drink that all night and he pretend that he was drunk so that he could be in with his teammates he didn't want to stand out and say well you know i don't drink he was actually quite smart in that regard. And I think Dean Martin was kind of in that um, in that bucket. So I hope everybody had a really great Christmas. We had a very, uh, we had a pleasant Christmas here. There were, I think, six of us. And uh, Lady Artemis and Bubba came by, which was great. And uh, my mother is still here. She'll be leaving tomorrow and headed out to... Uh, crazy ass california uh let's see the lovely and talented one was here and then my son showed up so there were six of us it was very quiet and it's you know it's a time of year where i try to unplug and not like i haven't even really been on twitter for like the past week and a half or so but no doubt i will gear back up because well it's kind of how i'm wired just in general so we had a really nice christmas i hope everybody else had a pleasant christmas whatever or however it manifested and sometimes christmas can be a heavy time you know we're we're in this period where you know these days are really short although the light is starting to come back now incrementally i mean that's theoretically how it's supposed to work but it can be a dark time and not an easy time for people. So whatever has um, been a part of your experience, I hope it's been a positive one. Not always good, but positive. Because you can take something that is challenging and see it in a positive light. Not always easy, but true. 
All right. So today we're going to get into, oh, by the way, we t- we'll take a little bit of a side journey off at the end of the show, because there's, there's a, a part of that scene with Dean Martin. And I pointed this out last year where they dress him up and he goes running over with his little Santa dancers. And then you see him peel off and go backstage. And there's another guy that comes on and is dressed up like Santa and, and, and theoretically it's supposed to be Dean Martin. And so they focus on the center person who is Santa, but it's supposed to be Dean Martin, even though we know it's not Dean Martin. So there's going to be a part of the show at towards the end where I'm going to come back to that. And I'm going to talk about masks and reality. And I found a very interesting video that I want to share towards the end of the show that in a lot of ways summarizes the time that we're, well, it doesn't summarize the time we're in, but it gives us kind of a layer to begin to try to understand reality, which is getting harder and harder each day. And that's really what today's show is about. And we're going to use, or I'm going to use, um, and you, and you're, you're along for the journey, uh, heart, the modern version of heart of darkness, which is apocalypse now, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. I remember the first time I saw it, I was, it was right when it came out. I think it might've been the first or second weekend. And we saw it in San Francisco uh, in a theater that was not very far from the Coppola building, which is uh, an iconic building, which I've talked about as like a Tartarian uh, structure because it just stands out in the midst of this area in San Francisco, which is kind of on the cusp of North Beach and Chinatown, you know, where these two uh, very intense cultures begin to collide. You have the Chinatown in San Francisco is really intense. It fucking stinks. Um, You'll see weird things. It hasn't changed. Chinatown, maybe the restaurants have changed a little bit and have gotten a little more upscale. Um, But by and large, those storefronts have not changed period end of story and you can start on grant street in chinatown and walk up grant street or grant avenue whatever whatever it's called and it feels like you're in turn of the century in many cases except for the technology shit um in the windows turn of the century san francisco it hasn't really changed and then you keep going and then you cross broadway and it takes you right into little italy or north beach it's a really fascinating uh, part of the city and i really like so coppola's building is not far from there it's on i believe it's on columbus if i'm not mistaken so anyway we saw apocalypse now we actually saw it down by the marina and uh i think we were we, we would you know we were we were altered let's put it that way we were altered we had no idea what we we're getting into so we I mean, I I knew that it was a big deal because I've been reading about the movie and I knew it was a big deal. So I had a sense as to what we're getting into, but I had no idea what we really could. And we sat in the front row. So we're altered. We sit in the front row and I watch this thing. And by the time it's over, I'm just like speechless. There there are a couple movies that have done that to me. Two of them have been Stanley Kubrick movies. One being 2001 and the other being Eyes Wide Shut. 
Speechless. And then that one, Apocalypse Now, and then the first aliens, which I, or the first aliens, which I talked about. Altered, but in a different way. I, I've seen Apocalypse Now probably about a dozen times. And every time I, I watch it or I see a commentary on it, it reveals something new. Because it is not always, well, here, here's what I'll say about it. With all of the like storm and drawn of the movie and all the visceral intensity of the scenes, it is a very nuanced movie. And there are lots of layers to Apocalypse Now. And I think, um, I think Coppola, even though his output has been limited, he's had a limited output, but he's made three of the greatest movies of all time. The first two Godfather films and Apocalypse Now. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. But Coppola, I believe, is probably top five in American directors for his vision, for his ability to take cinematic risks. I think he employed people that understood lighting um, in a way that Kubrick understood it. Ingmar Bergman understood it. Coppola was a freak with stuff like that. So we're going to, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to look at three pivotal scenes in the movie Apocalypse Now and then relate them to where we are socially. And we're, and, and I think these are very pertinent examples and why the social structure and the social order is headed into the heart of darkness. So I'm going to get into that today. And then at the end, I'm going to flip back and then we're going to get into the uh, sort of the mask reality stuff, which is interesting. But before I do that, I'm going to, I'm going to talk true hemp science, uh, and then I'm going to go into Chattaria. So true hemp science, I was texting Chris yesterday. Let me get to the website here. I was texting Chris, and he wanted me to tell you that he is working on the moon dust gummies. So they're coming. The moon dust gummies are on their way. And uh, I had, well, he gave me two. So I can, I, so I'm like your, I'm like your, uh, I'm your guy in the street corner pushing CBD. No, not really, but kind of, right? He's like, here, man, have some of this. Okay, cool. No, it was really good. He, he didn't have many. So he just gave me a couple. And I got to tell you, they're really good. The moon dust gummies are really good. They will uh, lift your spirits. And also you get the, the anti-inflammatory effect that CBD has been known to provide. So let's go into the website here and just give you another visual. And here we have True Hemp Science. Mother Earth is our CEO. And, and uh, you know, we're still kind of in the holiday season here, right? So if you still wanted to send out some gifts it is i don't think anybody would 
would think twice about getting a gift past December 25th if you do things like that. And I'm going to. I still have some people that I need to circle back to you and send some things to. Uh, so this is a really great gift. And if you spend $100 or more, what you'll do is you'll get some free product. And Chris will throw a couple of gummies in there, whatever he's got. By the way, I think the gummies are, he's got to fire up the, the nighttime gummy machine. So if you're interested in, in getting the gummies, which are money, had one last night, boom, boom, out go the lights. So, in fact, the gummy has replaced uh, my uh, melatonin, although melatonin is still pretty good for you because as we get older, we, we produce less melatonin. But I find that the, the CBD gummy is good enough. And then if I hit it with melatonin, sometimes it's almost overkill and I wake up feeling a little groggy. So it's under edibles right here, spend a hundred dollars or more. And what you'll, what you'll get is some free product from Chris, $150 and more. And you'll get free shipping too. When you check out, uh, first of all, you got to go to truehempscience.com forward slash ref forward slash 23. And then when you check out, type in, one five M I N S that's one five M I N S and Chris knows you're coming from this portal and uh, you'll get the good stuff. I guarantee it. All right. And I, I want to give a big shout out and thanks to, to Chris for being a, a sponsor this year. Uh, it's been a really great year working with him and just having this wonderful kind of circular relationship, you know, with hemp and, you know, the, and I don't know the growers or the sources, Chris does, but we have a relationship with them, even though it's unseen. And then as it gets processed and goes into uh, Chris's possession and then distributes to all of us, I think it's really great. So big thanks to Chris and Trium Science for making 2022 a very healing year. All right, let's go into uh, chat. Taria. Chataria, the land of utopia. Not quite, but it's close enough. It's close enough. All right, let me get in here. Let me get in here. What the hell is going on in this place? All right. Up, 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 up. Went too far. Oh, come on now. Come on now. All right, let's see who's here. Well, we got a good good crew. There's DJ MC. What's going on, Michael? Hope you had a really good Christmas. There's my man TJ, Tomas Jordan. Yeah, Michael has probably already ran like five miles done an MMA workout um, and uh, fed his kids and uh, he's, he's way ahead of us, way ahead of us. No doubt. There's my man, Ryan. What's happening, Ryan? Good to see you. Let's see who else do we have. See pines. I see pines. ICC Pines. What's going on? It's Huckabuck 411. What's going on, Huck? P 
post Christmas greetings to you as well. Um, think, uh, Ola Chatarians, are we ready for 2023? I'm just going to give you my quick hit on 2023, much more later, not in this show, but on Sunday night, um, much more later. I think 2023 is going to be really hard. I think it's going to be a hard year. You know, in the Chinese uh, astrology, it's Pisces. So it's not quite the end of their cycle. The end of their cycle is Scorpio in the year of the pig or the boar. But the rabbit is Pisces. And so we're going down rabbit holes and we're dealing, you know, rabbit is associated with fear. So it's going to be, a very interesting year when it comes to fear. Pluto goes into Aquarius. Saturn goes into Pisces. Uh, Jupiter goes into Taurus. So we have three planets, three outer planets that make major sign changes in 2023. The one that concerns me the most is Saturn and Pisces because of the social implications, which are not, I think, positive. We'll get into more of that, but I don't get a good, I don't get a good vibe from 2023. It's also the Chiron return for the United States. We'll get into a lot more of that on Sunday night. Um, there is Cremo, what's going on, Christine? Gemini in the house. Uh Lynn says all strapped in. I'm getting together with my tech guys later to work out the Discord issue. Your dogged determination is inspiring, Lynn. I have to say, it's that Cancerian kind of, it's not always moving forward, but it's moving. It's moving sideways, but it's always moving. Remember, the uh, chariot in the tarot is ruled by Cancer. Moving forward. Catherine Kramer, how do I get in Discord? I'm a member. Uh, Catherine. What you need to do is uh, send me your email. Send me your email address. I think we're either friends on. Well, you can just send it to send it to my email. I'll go through my email today. Send. send I'll look for you, and I'll make sure. Oh, don't worry about it. I got you covered. Just don't worry about it. JH to B's today, the US Pluto return is exact again. So I'm kind of expecting something to happen. You know, I'm just going to talk about that on Sunday night as well. It's the US Pluto return is Ukraine. They have hijacked the Pluto return. Everything, it's like Zelensky's the new fucking Washington, literally and figuratively. He is the new Washington. He's the face of, I'm going to get into Zelensky today. He's part of the narrative today. Um, but Ukraine has become the Pluto return. These people are architects of evil. They hijacked the Pluto return and shot it over to Ukraine, and along with all of our money, and left us bereft and hanging out by the river 
in Valley Forge, right? I mean, it's kind of where we are. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, JH to bees, J to bees. Thanks for bringing that up. Santa would be shagging his elves. Oh my God. I can't get that image out of my head now. You know, somewhere, you, okay, Christine, you started it. Somewhere, somebody has done that. Somebody has acted on that fetish. Somewhere, somebody has cosplayed up like Santa and hired out some short people to play the elves and had a weird thing. You know somebody somewhere has done that. If you can think of it, it's happened. I guarantee you. Let's see. I got you, Catherine. Don't worry about it. Surely. Surely you just. Hey, there's Wendy, the, the lovely one. Wendy says, Double B, Beth Berry's in the house. North Beach is where the... I was a cocktail waitress there where Carol Dota, when Carol Dota was there. You know what was really weird was Greg Kinn. Remember Greg Kinn, the breakup song? Remember that? Remember that guy? He was really big in the Bay Area. Greg Kinn had this weird relationship with Carol Dota. I couldn't really figure it out. By that time, Carol Dota was probably pushing 60. And she 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 was the spokesperson for this UHF TV station. There, there was some talk that she had a, a, a share in it called Channel 36. And she would do these promos called the Perfect 36. Although Carol Dota was beyond the Perfect 36. Uh, North Beach is hanging out there a lot. So uh, I think I think Lynn was saying titty bars. Is that, is that right, Lynn? Can I, I can say that. It's my show. Let's see who else we have. Maurice, 100. In the chat. Yes, I talked about that. Uh, let's see. I'm in Charlottesville this morning. My company gave me the whole week off, so I'm traveling with my guy. Well, all right. I hope your travels with your guy are happy and yay. And I mean that in the Dean Martin version of the world definition of gay. Happy and gay. It's time to reclaim gay. Have a gay old time. Have a gay old time. Loki Loki showing up today. Uh, let's see. Who else do we have? Aldi, nice and cold here in the Northern Hemisphere. I see, that's where it's supposed to be cold. It is supposed to be cold. Is it supposed to be nucleated cold? I don't know. Yacht Boy, it's JC. He's here. What's going on? More rabbit holes. We're almost to China now. Oh, I think we got a ways. 
the rabbit hole thing is once you go down, you can't go up. You can't go back up the rabbit hole. It's just the way it is. I didn't get here by sitting still, laugh out loud. It's the Saturn on my MC. Do you remember when hip-hop groups had MCs? They were MCs, master of master ceremonies, right? They, they, the DJ and the MC. MC Saturn, that would be a cool name. MC Saturn. Well, I, I think that would be uh, appropriate. Let's see. Sony, the beautiful one, and walking up. She's walking out the door. Can only listen. Well, we're glad you're here. Good to see you. There's Rocky checking in. Hi, Rocky. My man, Lyle. Lyle Coyotal. I'm going to bring Lyle on the show one of these days. Just to hang out and talk with him. We would have a very good chat. Very, very good chat. I, I don't know. I may need to just do like a semi-regular show with Lyle if he's into it. I think we'd have a good time. Let's see. I'm here. I wish I could think of more hardball questions to ask right now. Ask softball questions. Softball questions are okay. Ask cotton ball questions. Surely. I agree. We need gay back. We need gay and the rainbow back. God damn it. I want the rainbow back. They hijacked the fucking rainbow. I like the rainbow. And gay predated uh stonewall it's funny i, I live near stonewall of course stonewall being the the great the great gay revolution the big payback brands here cc Jones. so i got it i got an update on dorothy and the rife machine here's what's happening i found a rife machine at a very reasonable price through a fellow Chatarian, barely used. The only thing I have to do now is find a power cord for it. So there will be an exchange for, of funds for said Rife machine. So our mission is accomplished. Hopefully. I just have, finding these power cords is not easy. So for everybody that's donated uh, to Dorothy's GoFundMe, thank you. We I think we have our we have our uh, Rife machine in focus. So thank you for that. And I'll keep you updated. All right. Um, who heard the Flintstones theme? A little bit. A little bit. I may not be on tomorrow, by the way. I got to take my mother back to the airport. To the airport. And she has to be there by 11. So I have to leave here by 9 30 i could do tomorrow's show but it'd have to be at 8 a.m i may do that i may check in for a quickie tomorrow and do like eight to nine or something like that and then i have to jet off so it's so it can still be done although it will really test djmc because that would be 6 a.m his time so we'll see what happens. Let's see. How much weight do I still put in tarot and oracle cards? Um, well, I don't really use them that much, but I think they can be a very useful tool. And there are two instances where I've done read. Well, 
I did a reading on election night in 2020 when we were streaming live. And um, where we were headed with the election was the hangman. I'm like, oh, shit, this is not good. Suspended, upside down, sacrificial. And I think, are we still there? Maybe. I'd have to go back and look at the rest of that reading. But I remember just being like, and this was this was as we were going into the night, right? The the, the dreaded night where there was a coup. And I saw that reading. I'm like, we're kind of fucked. We're kind of fucked. And then I I did a reading recently for a young man um, who had gone through some uh, very intense personal turmoil. And it was, I, I think that the reading was spot on based on about what I know what happened. We'll see what happens. I don't, I'm not a big fan of tarot channels, especially when it comes to predicting world events. It would be an interesting experiment to get 10 tarot readers and have one topic or query and the query being hidden, right? Like, like kind of a, it wouldn't be a double blind, but it'd be a blind test, right? The query would be the future of the United States, right? And then you would have 10 tarot readers all do interpretations and to see what kind of cards they would get. I think that would be an interesting exercise. But, you know, I mean, I got, I've just got, I got turned off with a lot of YouTube tarot channels. And I know that there are people that really like tarot with Janine or by Janine, but I started to, I saw a couple of her readings. I'm like, this is, it's kind of ridiculous in some ways. In some ways. Because people always interpret from their bias. Almost. I mean, how can you not? We're, we, it's very hard to be objective. So she was, I felt like she was really interpreting from her bias, which I could not get behind. Everything started with the manifestation of the plan that's about to come. And that plan would be the liberation of various countries based on uh, the anonymous service of white hats. And I just, I just didn't buy it. It's like, cause if you start from that place and you start to interpret from that place, it clouds one's ability to see the cards clearly. And sometimes they're not that friendly or forgiving. And then you have to be able to interpret it in a way that stretches your a person's own bias. I think that's the biggest test with those with those or any oracle, even astrology. There's huge bias in astrology, which I've always been repelled by. And and I started very early on not adhering to bias or doing my best to not adhere to bias. 
and I'm not perfect because sometimes we see, like, I'd like to see the world turn out okay, right? That's a bias. But the world's going to turn out the way it's going to turn out. And some of it might be positive, relatively positive, and some of it might be relatively negative. But it's going to unfold the way it's going to unfold. Can we influence reality by our attitude, our vibration, and the choices we make? Absolutely. To what degree we can influence reality, that's, that's always up for debate. Some people are very good at influencing reality, even in a minor way. Sometimes the most minor decisions, I'm going to get into some of that today. Even some of the most minor decisions can have a ripple effect through reality. We don't always understand our impact on other people. And I've, for me, that's been uh, kind of a life lesson. And you know, you know, this, that book, The Secret Language of Birthdays, you know that book? which is, I think it's a really good book. Um, so I'm born, I'm born in this day called the day of the restless drive, which is always about starting new projects and new projects. And so some very interesting and insightful things in that book. I highly recommend the other books are okay. I think the relationship book is good. The life purpose book I'm not sold on. I think they'd gone to the well, like one too many times, but those two books, the secret language of relationships and the secret language of birthdays, I think are worth owning. So one of the things on my day is saying things that shock people and that I have to, I have to be careful with what I say sometimes. And I remember one time I was up in Olympia, Washington, and I was working at this restaurant and there was this really cool guy named Corey. I really liked him and he was a cook and I think one day I was like in a bad fucking mood and I said something and I barked at him and you should have seen the look on his face. It was like, I'd stabbed him in the heart and he had had this idea or picture of me that I didn't connect with. And I realized, Holy shit, I just said something and I had to kind of really, really work it back to get him to understand why I said what I said and I apologized. But it was one of those restaurant in the heat of the moment moments, right? It was just, it, so for me, I try to be accountable or as much as I can for what I say, because those things have ripple effects. And when you get into oracles, you know, there's definitely, there's definitely the realm of bias. You know, we, we but, the thing that you can do getting back to influencing reality is understanding how you impact. And every now and then I, I got to poke the bear. Here's an example. Uh, I could talk about this because um, these people don't watch the show. So I'm going to talk about it. So we're at a Christmas gathering on Christmas Eve. And this is a, uh, at the uh, good doctor's mother's house. So same group of people was there last year. I think maybe the year before too. I, I can't, can't really really remember. I think last year was the year I started to meet all these people. And there was this guy there last year. Um, and he lives in Philadelphia and, and uh, he's, he married into 
the doctor's family through her mother's brother, right? right? So her brother had two girls and then they both got married. One married this guy who I'm going to talk about. Another married this other guy from Mexico who I really like, a very cool guy. So the other guy, and I like his wife, by the way. His wife is pretty cool. The other guy, the guy I'm talking about, has black fingernails. Like he paints his fingernails black. And honestly, if you want to paint your fingernails, that's fine. I don't give a shit. And I noticed them last year. And I thought to myself, well, that's kind of interesting. And he seemed like an okay guy. I wore an earring. IT dude. Pretty smart. You could tell he was smart. And black fingernails. And I'm like, oh, all right. I've seen weirder. So he's there again this year. And there's the black fingernails again. I'm like, what's up with this guy with the black fingernails? And I think I had had a moon dust gummy. I think I think I had a moon dust gummy. Yeah, pretty sure of it. So I was feeling pretty good. And I remember we were sitting around, standing around uh, the kitchen table, starting to get snacks, right? little hors d'oeuvres. They were great. Joan did a great job of the enchiladas too. Killer enchiladas. So we're sitting there, and I was kind of recounting the fr my the Friday show in my head. All these people, I'm black fingernail guy was there, and I and I just blurted out, "Hey, has anybody ever heard of the Mandela effect?" <laughs> and they're like, "No, what's that?" So so I started to talk about it a bit. I said, "Do you remember the Berenstein Bears?" Yeah, yeah. Okay, do you remember how they were spelled? Well, yeah, B-E-A-R-E-N-S-T-E-I-N, right? Does that remember how, you how it was spelled? That's not how it's spelled now. It's spelled the Berenstain Bears. And you can go on any YouTube video or almost any DVD or um, old video, VHS, and you'll see that spelling, Berenstain Bears. And they're like, whoa. <laughs> so... I kind of dropped a little bit of a grenade. He was there, he was hanging out. And he was like, okay, this guy's fucking crazy. But later, so later on, I'm like, I got to talk to him about his fingernails. So just as we were leaving, they had these great cookies. And I had to have a cookie for the road. So I got this cookie. He was sitting at the table where the cookies were. I said, hey, I have a question for you. Have you ever thought about changing your fingernails up for the holidays like red and green for christmas you ever thought about that and it was kind of an honest question even though i was poking the bear a little bit and he was like no no oh okay i think i hit a little bit of a sore spot there so i walked up to his wife i said hey i think i i think i got a little too close to uh your husband's third rail I asked him if he ever thought about doing holiday nails for his hands. And she laughed. She thought it was funny. She, she said, um, oh, my mother asked him the same question. <laughs> and I'm good. We're on the same page. And I said, look, I mean, even if it was Halloween, he just had to paint every other nail different color. Like he could go orange and orange. Orange on the thumb, black on the index finger. 
orange on the middle finger and then orange on the pinky. Right. Or he could do half stripes, black and orange on each nail. I just thought it was so if we're all there together next year, if it, if it all folds, unfolds the same way, I'm going to sit down with the guy and I'm going to ask him, can I ask you a question? What is your motivation for painting your fingernails black? I'm just curious. I, I, and I, this is not a judgment. I just find humans to be fascinating. And I'm curious as to why you do that. You don't have to answer, obviously. And I'm not here to judge you, but I, I'd like to understand. And so my take, here's my take, is that he wants to be provocative. Like he wants to, he, he, it's kind of like being pierced in public without being pierced in public. So he wants people to notice, but at the same time, there's like a layer of sensitivity over being noticed. You know what I mean? It's weird. That's my take. So that if people ask him about the fingernails, he can defend them or see see the world is judgmental and fucked see this is exactly what i was talking about deep down in my soul who knows maybe there's something else to it but anyway all right let's get into today's show well let's get into the meat those were the hors d'oeuvres so what i wanted to talk about today is there are these three key scenes in the movie Apocalypse Now. And to me, they represent where we are on the, I'm just going to use the U.S., but I can throw the globe in there too, because as the U.S. goes, so does the rest of the globe. Well, the not the globe, the realm, the realm that we know. And where Apocalypse now heads to is the heart of darkness. And that's ultimately where I think we're headed. Like we are going to go through the dark night of the soul of this country. We'll come out the other side, but we won't be the same country. And this gets into the eclipses of 20 late 2023 and 2024 just look at what the eclipse of 2017 did it changed this country irrevocably or was a symbol of the change that was coming either way we're not the same country after that eclipse and we won't be the same country after the 2024 eclipse so what i want to do is i want to take you through three scenes of apocalypse now and i'm going to apply two relative well i would say two for now i can't i can't go to the third yet because it hasn't happened and we don't really have a model for it yet although it is emerging but i can go to two correlations to where we've been and where we are as a relates to apocalypse now. So the whole idea of the movie is if you if you're not familiar with it, 
is that it's a retelling of Joseph Conrad's novel, The Heart of Darkness, where he, the protagonist in Heart of Darkness, travels upriver in Africa. And the further upriver he goes, the more he becomes aware of the darkness of his soul as it's reflected in the surroundings of Africa. And so um, Coppola decides to take this and stick it in Vietnam. And it's I think it's one of the greatest movies ever because the further up river and, and, and even the movie itself is this metaphor. I love it when movies become metaphors for the director and the experience of that movie. The other one that's a lot like that is uh, Fitzcarraldo with Werner Herzog, which again involves a river. So rivers are interesting as they relate to narratives and themes. So let's get into this. What I want to do is I want to take you to the first scene of Apocalypse Now, where we see some degree of order, but also some degree of the breakdown of order. Like there's still some semblance of order, but what what people are doing with it in the name of continuing to establish that order becomes very questionable. And I'll make a correlation and then we'll move forward. All right. So the scene that I'm going to, I'm going to bring up here is um, the helicopter scene with Robert Duvall as Kilgore. And this is, I think one of the most iconic scenes of cinema. It's like right up there with, uh, Max von Sydow playing chess with death. So this is the air cab. Um, Kilgore is played by De Niro. I'm not De Niro, Duvall. And they're going in to a Vietnamese village um, and they're going to strafe the shit out of it. And so we, we have command we have order, we have soldiers following order, even though those orders aren't always um, well, let's let's just say that they are uh, deepening the claws of the West theoretically into the Vietnamese experience without any thought or repercussion about how this is all going to play out. And they can't do that because they're soldiers, number one. But number two, in a lot of ways, they're also there to exploit the experience. So I'm going to play this and um, I'll come back out of it and I'll show you what I think is a historical correlation to this, which has led up to the time we're in. Okay, here we go. Put on Cywar up, make it loud. The Romeo Fox God, shall we dance? Yes, yes, sir. <laughs> 
weapon down below. We're gonna go down and check it out. Well done. Once a 20 Mike Mike Vulcan right along those tree lines. So obviously there's a lot more that happens after that. There's an incredible amount of mayhem and chaos, but there's still some order. And the order goes into a very odd, strange direction because uh, Kurtz, not Kurtz, Kilgore wants to hit the break, right? They want to surf. He's a big surfing guy. So there's this underlying theme of distraction that's going on with, with that scene. And of course, they pick up some of the wounded. They take a kid away. They take the mother away. So there's some degree of um, altruism. But there's also a large degree of inflicting a lot of damage on the populace uh, under the, the guise of the auspice of maintaining order, right? Communism is this thing. It's, it's encroaching on the West. It's already in the United States, right? But they didn't want communism to take hold because if it was theoretically, again, if it was Vietnam and then Laos, uh, Cambodia, then it could go to places like Thailand. Um, North Korea was already communist. So they didn't want to lose theory. Again, this is all theory. They didn't want to lose the South Pacific to communism. So they said, okay, well, you know, we'll create a beachhead here, even though, even though with the Gulf of Tonkin, they had the, uh, they had the, the, the excuse or the reason to go in and do all this stuff because they created, it was a false flag, but nonetheless, there's some order there, right? There is some degree of order. You know, people, the soldiers take orders, they follow orders. You know, there, there is a clear hierarchy and chain of command during that scene. We're past that now. Now for me, what that scene is related to in my estimation is Iraq. And I have some, I just have some, uh, some stills here from Facebook that, uh, not Facebook, Google that I'm going to share. And Iraq for me is kind of the modern version of Vietnam. It, it, again, they're using this idea that they want to stop terrorism. 
terrorism became the new communism. So we have a degree of order here, theoretically, but to what end and to what purpose? And then we get into things like Abu Ghraib, which shows, which I think is a psyop, by the way, but it shows the decline of order. It shows that the United States Army um, takes liberty in a way with prisoners of war, uh, people they've captured, and puts them into unspeakable positions and conditions. Although, again, I think that that was a psychological operation, that that was all planned out and that they were going to leak that because that's part of demoralization. But the Iraq war really winds up being this kind of just war, theoretically. And it's the first war in my estimation of the, the, the new world order. This is the new world orders war ordered by uh, the neocons as a result of what happens with 9-11, which is another false flag operation. So there's the veneer of order here. You had generals, you had uh, Tommy Frank, Stanley McChrystal, Betrayus. And like Vietnam, it extends into multiple presidencies. It goes from Bush to Obama, and I think it bleeds into Trump just a little bit. But by the time Trump gets to the White House, he's much more engaged with Syria and theoretically what's happening in Syria. So to me, the war in Iraq is sort of the last vestige of order. And we're following this bozo. Look at that. This is the guy that we're following. It's ridiculous. Just images. I mean, this is the war that is quickly becoming forgotten. But we went in with this whole idea of some degree of moral authority based on what happened. What was the movie with Mark Wahlberg and uh, George Clooney and Ice Cube? What is it? We Kings or Three Kings? That's actually a really good movie. And it's also very much in, in its own way like Apocalypse Now. It's like the Apocalypse Now version of the Iraq War because they're going to go high shit, right? That's part of the movie. If you haven't seen it, it's, a, it's actually a really good movie. Um, so they're going to heist shit. The war theoretically is over, and it's like, well, you know, all these other multinational corporations are getting their hooks into the resources here. Why shouldn't we? That's pretty much the premise of the movie. But it also begins to show the breakdown of order. And that's what happened with the Iraq war is that it facilitated the breakdown of order. And it was a war that was launched under the guise of terror and trauma, even more so than the Vietnam War. So that 
eventually by the time uh, Obama comes in, we start to get the WikiLeaks stuff where people are asking, well, why are we there? What are we doing? Why are we there? Nobody's really answering any questions. They're just carrying out their orders and doing drone strike after drone strike after drone strike, working out all the technology so that if they needed to use it in a domestic theater, they know exactly what to do. Literally changing the face of war where you would have people in air-conditioned command centers in places like Colorado sipping lattes and picking people off with drones. I mean, that's really what what that war was about. It was changing the face of war. But we're all, we also begin to see the breakdown of order with that war. There's still some semblance of moral authority, but not. It's all it's all built on artifice. And I remember Rolling Stone articles on Stan McChrystal and them pumping him up like. He was some kind of a hero because he was on the ground and he would fight with his men. It was was an interesting article. But then Obama comes in right when the whole Petraeus scandal happens and just levels all the commanders in CENTCOM and AFRICOM and puts his own people in. And even that is a decline of order. No matter what you think of war and what you think of authority, those generals were, you know, grizzled, you know, died in the world generals. Some of them were around from, you know, the first Iraq war. Some are probably even around with towards the end of the Vietnam War. So these were guys that, you know, that that knew the war game and Obama takes them out and puts his own people in so that they'll listen to him, not these other guys. Again, changing the face of things. So we begin to see, even with those replacements, the decline of order in the rise of a different kind of order that's going to be born out of chaos, which brings us to the next scene in Apocalypse Now, which is the famous bridge scene. So by this time, the gunboat gets to the final place where there is, I wouldn't say there's any order. I wouldn't say that at all. In fact, there's complete chaos. And yet it's like the last marker of a kind of standard issue military. Although at this point, they don't even resemble standard issue military. Oh, look who's here. It's the Astro Cat. So I'm going to play you the bridge scene. It's a famous scene from Apocalypse Now, and then I'm going to relate it to where we are now. And this is all about the dissolution of order in the social order. So I'm going to play that scene now. So this is the clip from Dulong Bridge. In this clip, uh, Martin Sheen's character Willard 
uh, and Lance leave the boat and they're, they're trying to get a fix on uh, where the CO is so that they can uh, get fuel and some supplies to, to continue their journey upriver. And Lance, played by Lance Bottoms, I believe. There's Timothy Bottoms, Sam Bottoms. I think this is Lance Bottoms, if I'm not mistaken. Um, has taken a hit of acid. So he's literally tripping on the way. So this whole th scene, in a lot of ways, is seen through his eyes. And it's like a bad acid trip. So here we go. The underwire, man. Yeah. You need a flare? No. He's close, man. He's real close. Hey, soldier. Do you know who's in command here? Yeah.
So that's one of the most iconic scenes in this movie and also in cinema. And that's called that's called the roach scene. That's what they call that guy, the roach. And one of the things that is a big takeaway from that scene is the fact that nobody knows who's in charge. The guy with the machine gun thinks Willard is the commanding officer. And then Willard asks Roach if he knows who, who's in charge. And Roach says, yeah, and that's it. Maybe he was in charge at one point. Who knows? But that's where we are now. Nobody knows who's in charge. They don't know if Biden's in charge or Obama's in charge or or Donald Trump is. Nobody knows. That's where we are. We are at the bridge. We're at the bridge scene. Socially. And the correlation that I have for it is this douchebag. You tell me who's in charge. You tell me who's in charge here. Who's in charge? Who's making the decisions? We don't know. We have no clue who's making these decisions. None whatsoever. And that's the chaos part. That's the part that we're dealing with. Right? Nobody really knows. It's the breakdown of the social order. And Roach is a signifier because he is the bridge between the world of Kurtz, the heart of darkness, and the world of whatever semblance of order is left. Let me see if I can do something here. I've never done this before, but I'm going to try to add some time to this show. Let me see if I can do this. I just added 30 minutes. I've never done this before, but in order for me to really do this, um, I needed to add some time because we're a little bit behind. So I kind of want to do this justice. We don't we don't know who's in charge, who's making decisions, where it's coming from, or who's even accountable. So what do we get? We get we get we get this clown. That's what we get. We get this clown. And then the clowns behind him. Whatever the fuck this is. This looks like, like a fucking high school production. Biden and Zelensky try to figure out how the war ends. So you have somebody who's an imposter, uh, maybe an accumulation of about two or three people wearing various masks. And then you have another guy who's an actor. Now, the people under the mask with Biden, they're probably actors too. Biden and Zelensky try to figure out how the war ends. They, they're not trying to figure out shit, please. But that that's where we're at the bridge. We're at the bridge moment. Nobody knows who's in charge, what's going on. 
you know, the guy, you know, firing away at his 50 cal or people on social media. They're just firing away, just spraying, you know, verbal bullets everywhere. Because that's all people have. And and is he even hitting his target? No. The guy is just continuing to scream at him and saying, fuck you, Yankee. That guy with the machine gun is social media. Not making any difference. Not making a dent. The one guy who makes a difference in a dent is Roach. And he's operating from a completely different mode of consciousness. One that most people would find in a lot of ways repellent or socially unacceptable. But in order for him to get to that point, he had to break down all of his social constructs in all of his social order because he's able to do something that the guy with the machine gun and the flare couldn't do with one shot. He's able to intuitively sense where that guy was and just take him out. But in order to get there, everything had to go. Like he has very little humanity, if any at all. He's operating on pure instinct. So think about that. If he's a cipher of what's to come, is that the state that we have to achieve? Do we have to break down that much to get to like roach consciousness? So that we don't we don't have to think things through, right? Just turn off the music, cut down the distraction, sense the distance between us and the other, and then boom, out go the lights. A lot of people are like, hell no. And I don't blame you. But there's no reasonable option at that point where they've reached the bridge and it's pure chaos and nobody knows who's in charge. There's no reasonable option. It's the roach model or like the Lance and the deer in the headlights LSD model. And by the way, Lance, spoiler alert, makes it through. He makes it through. And it has to do with the fact that he's on some kind of spiritual journey where his his own social order is being broken down. And he plays this increasing kind of dimwit, innocent fool who's untouched by everything. But he's untouched because he doesn't have any malice in his body. Like all the malice has left his body. And so he's just this kind of innocent psychedelic witness to the whole thing. And I don't know if uh, Milius or who, it was Milius, Lucas and and, um, Coppola who are, are responsible for the script. I'm not sure if that's what their intention was for Lance, but it comes across that way. He's the only person who's able to retain some level of purity. But in order to do that, he's almost like the anti-Roach. Roach has lost his mind, his rational mind, and so is Lance, but Lance has no malice. Roach is 
uh, a killer. All right, so let's go to the final scene of Apocalypse Now, which is the famous Kurt scene. And it's the place that we aren't at yet. And the idea of the social order breaking down to that point is chilling and terrifying, but also true. And you can't look away from the truth when the truth is staring you in the face. So let me play the scene. This is the famous I've seen horror scene. If the generals back in the train could see what I saw, would they still want me to kill him? More than ever, probably. And what would his people back home want if they ever learned just how far from them he'd really gone? He broke from them, and then he broke from himself. I'd never seen a man so broken up and ripped apart. I've seen horrors, horrors that you've seen. But you have no right to call me a murderer. You have a right to kill me. You have a right to do that. But you have no right to judge me. It's impossible through words describe what is necessary to those who do not know what horror means. Horror. Horror has a face and you must make a friend of horror. Horror and moral terror are your friends. If they are not, then they are enemies to be feared. They are truly enemies. I remember when I was with special forces seems a thousand centuries ago. We went into a camp to inoculate some children We left the camp after we had inoculated the children for polio. And this old man came running after us and he was crying. He couldn't say. We went back there, and they had come and hacked off every inoculated arm. There they were in a pile, pile of little arms. And I remember 
I, I, I cried. I wept like some grandmother. I wanted to tear my teeth out. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I want to remember it. I never want to forget it. I never want to forget. And then I realized, like I was shot, like I was shot with a diamond, a diamond bullet right through my forehead. And I thought, my God, the genius of that, the genius, the will to do that. Perfect, genuine, complete, crystalline, pure. And then I realized they were stronger than me because they could stand it. These were not monsters. These were men, trained cadres. These men who fought with their hearts, who have families, who have children, who are filled with love. But they had the strength. The strength. If I had 10 divisions of those men, then our troubles here would be over very quickly. You have to have men who are moral and at the same time who are able to utilize their primordial instincts to kill without feeling, without passion, without judgment, without judgment. Because it's judgment that defeats us. son might not understand what I've tried to be and if I were to be killed in Willard I would want someone to go to my home and tell my son everything everything I did everything you saw because there's nothing that I detest more than the stench of lies. All right, so I'm going to cut the scene there because they're going to whack that water buffalo. And this was actual an actual, the movie was shot in the Philippines. So this is an actual um, ritual these people are doing. And they're going to kill that water buffalo as part of the ritual i believe they eat it so don't think it's just going to waste they're going to eat it but this is and they were just doing this right this is part of the film and of course coppola brings in um the doors during a big part of this scene the end right so What's interesting about that scene 
and why I think it's important is because that's where we're headed. We're headed into Kurtzville. And people have no idea what's coming. They're not prepared. We're not prepared for it. Do we want to live like Kurtz in order to be prepared for it? I don't, I don't know. In Kurtz's mind, when he broke and broke ranks, he saw everything that was a complete uh, hypocrisy and travesty and a lie when it comes to, or when it came to Vietnam and fighting uh, the Viet Cong. And he realized that if there was going to be a victor in that war, that he had to adapt to a different morality. And that morality is colored by the scene that he talks about where the baby's arm, the, the ch children's arms are cut off. And what's interesting too is the connection between that scene and inoculations and what we've been through for the past two years. It's an interesting metaphor. So when we see Kurtz, he is the epitome of the breakdown of the social order. The social order wants him exterminated or what passes for the social order. That's why Willard is there. He was sent there by Army Command on this secret mission to take this guy out who for all intents and purposes are making them look bad. They're making them and their enterprise in Vietnam look bad. He's more of a soldier and a quote unquote warrior than they are. They're pencil pushers or paper pushers or bureaucrats. Uh, and they're there to get whatever they can out of the war. That's a theme in the movie. But that's not what Kurtz is about. Kurtz is broken from that. And he says, we're going to get down to business. We're going to, we're going to roll up our sleeves and do what it takes. And we're not going to fight the same kind of war that was being fought traditionally. So whether you agree with that or not, that's the premise. But in order for Kurtz to get there, he has to break down his normal sense of morality. And that's what that whole scene is about. When he talks about the inoculated arms winding up in a pile, that's a life-changing moment, right, for him. And he talks about the genius of that moment. But if you look at him also, it's very tribal. It's him and this group of people who have surrounded themselves, some of whom are American soldiers who have defected with him, some of whom are, you know, these uh, upriver native tribes who've joined in with the fight. And that's, so they've all broken to some degree with a social order, but they're also very committed to their purpose. And so what that, how that translates is what happens when the social order breaks down. You're going to have enclaves of Kurtz's. 
theoretically, some of whom might be reasonably good, some of whom may not be reasonably good. You you think that when this there so when the social order breaks down, you'll find divisions, and there will be people who will fork off in different directions and form a tribal alliances, some of whom might be tribal alliances with the government or whatever prevailing order is theoretically in charge. And that would be like, well, I saw him and he was over his kilowatt hour for the, for the week. And I'm going to turn him in and I'm going to get my social credit score boosted. That's like one tribal reality. There's other tribal realities that could be very, very different. And I feel like that's where we're headed. I think that there's something on the other side of all of this. You know, I'm just a guy piecing things together, looking at astrology, using my own instincts to try, try to understand where this is all headed. And I've just given you two examples that are relevant, right? The example of when Kilgore and Aircav come in, they're coming in like cowboys and there's some degree of order, but the order begins to break down so that by the time they get to the bridge, there is no order. Nobody knows who's in charge. So we have um, Iraq in our rear view mirror, which is very much like that scene. You know, we're going in there, we're, we've got all these Humvees and drones and all this shit, right? And you know, this is part of part of the story, part of the narrative, and then it breaks down, and then there begins to be a lack of order. And we're, so, who's calling the shots now? We don't know. We don't even know if 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 that's even really Biden. So, I want to play this mass video for you in a minute because I extended the time, which I'm glad I did. Um, but the real destination is way upstream with Kurtz and there is no order. And ultimately I think that's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. And not everybody is going to be pot committed like Kurtz in order to live in that world. It's going to be interesting to see how we change. And I mean, ultimately, I think this is going to work out. But in order for us to get from point A now to point Z, we've got some heavy sliding ahead of us. And I think 2023 is really the gateway into the heavy sledding. 2023, 2024, 2025, even 2026, when we get that Neptune-Saturn conjunction in Aries, which is all about war, by the way and the dissolution of boundaries and law and order. And it's kind of, we're, so we're just entering right now. We're, we're, we're entering the, 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 the dark pipeline in 2023. And, you know, will it get Kurtz bad? I, I don't know. There's something, and I know Milius, John Milius, who wrote, was a big contributor to the script. 
What's interesting is that he wanted a heroic ending when he wrote the script. He wanted the U.S. to be like fucking John Wayne in a John Wayne movie at the end of Apocalypse Now. And um, they did, they were really struggling with the ending. They didn't know how this thing was going to end. They had, they had Brando, who was really temperamental, and was he didn't he didn't know any of his lines he showed up he was overweight and it all worked i mean it all worked but they were really in search of an ending for the movie and then they figured it out and it wasn't john milius's um big grand shoot him up at the end but the way that milius writes he writes from this perspective almost almost like being a a Greek or a Roman who's writing about heroism and war from this mythical, almost timeless perspective. He gets it. Milius is an Aries. So when he talks, when he wrote, wrote that dialogue for Brando, some of which Brando also improvised, um, you kind of get where he's coming from, right? That in order to survive, in order to survive, a world built on hypocrisy and lies and the decline of a social order that literally the individual has to come face to face with it and make an ally of it. It's a very, very difficult concept to wrap your head around. But if you think about the so-called elites and how they're able to do what they do, which is treat humanity as a species in a zoo, cattle, chattel. What do you think their relationship with morality is? It's not the same one we have. We care, we, you know, we care about each other. We care about pets, but right. The care on that end is just manufactured. If there's any care at all. All right, so I wanted to get into um, this video I found on Biden and mass technology. It's a really interesting video. How long is it? It's seven minutes, so that'll take us, we got plenty of time. So this gets into, again, who's in charge? Who's in charge and how do we know if they are who they say they are? So I'll give you background on the video. This woman was in charge. She was in charge at one point. She took over for her husband. She was in charge of, um, whatchamacallit, uh, makeup and disguise inside the CIA. That was her thing. Let me, I'm going to play the video for you. I think it's really interesting. And I know you can handle it. My name is Jonna Mendez and I was chief of disguise at the CIA. 
One of the things that was going on when I was chief of disguise was an enormous uh, research program into the new advanced disguise system. It was basically the masks that everybody always wondered if we used masks, and this was the beginning. This is a series of photographs of when I met George H.W. Bush in the Oval Office. Okay, I, I got to stop there. So this is her, and she's meeting with, uh, at that time, the president. So this is late 80s. This could be 89, 90, 91. And so as uh, somebody from the CIA, he's being debriefed. Watch what happens. And I met George H.W. Bush in the Oval Office and revealed to him that I was briefing him wearing a mask. Now, in particular, and regarding this photograph, it is a Giddy's image photograph. If you go to the link, you can see the photographer, all those kinds of details, who took it. So what is the anomaly with this particular photograph? That's autodidactic. Any people paid by the CIA who are working for television networks. This, I think, gets into the kind of uh, getting into the details, Mr. Chairman, that I'd like to get into an executive session. was a big challenge to come up with something that finally actually animated and worked to really fool a person, but we did. They learned the art. We actually brought Hollywood back into our labs at one point to look at what we had done, and they were stunned. They're absolutely stunned. Congratulations. My husband was Tony Mendez, and he was played by Ben Affleck in the movie called Argo. Aliens and robots? Yes, sir. You're telling me that there is a movie company in Hollywood right now that is funded by the CIA? Yes, sir. Are there many actors in Hollywood who also moonlight as agents, do you think? <laughs> I think there are probably quite a few, yes. Huh. I think probably Hollywood is full of CIA agents. And we Including him. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised at all to discover that, you know, this is extremely common. Tony, they didn't mention it in the movie, but Tony had deep connections to Hollywood to the, the tradespeople out in L.A. that did a lot of things we were interested in doing. Special effects people, makeup people. Tony was chief of disguise 10 years before I was chief of disguise. And so he passed on some of his expertise to me. But he had a particular interest in the magic industry out in L.A. Not so much the magicians on the stage, but the people that were working behind the scenes to make that magic happen. 
So we went to LA and we posed some questions to them. We said, we have a problem. We're looking for novel solutions. Well, LA did have some ideas, of course. That's what they do for a living. They uh, introduced us to a new concept. They said, what you are calling an operation, we call a performance. That's what we do. We put on performances. And before we start working on that performance, we have to initially, we have to define the stage that the performance is going to take place on. Then you have to know who your audience is. Who are you playing to? Who are you trying to fool? Once you assemble those two pieces, you can pretty much choose the time and choose the place and simply overwhelm them with your performance. Then they showed us some tools that they used. The one that really caught our eye is what's called a stunt double mask. You all know how they're used. When the movie star is so famous or so good looking that they can't risk damaging him. We liked the idea of stunt double masks. They're quick on, they're quick off. Uh, they dramatically change your appearance. And we started using them and found them to be valuable to our operations. But that audience piece of it did not allow you to get close enough to one of those masks before the illusion fell apart and you saw it was a mask. So we went back to our disguise labs out at Langley and we invented a whole new genre of masks. Masks that are so good, that are so realistic, that you can actually get up close and have a personal contact with someone for an extended period of time. They're good enough that you can brief the President of the United States in the Oval Office wearing a mask. And he isn't sure if it's you or if it's, uh, if it's someone else. Those masks were the beginning of a whole new generation of work that we did at the CIA. Once we could make these masks that fit you so well, then we discovered we could make a twin. We could make another you. There could be two of you. We could actually make five or six of you, but usually one extra was all we needed. We will respond accordingly. God bless you all and may God protect our troops. But that's only the tip of the iceberg. As longtime CIA lawyer John Rizzo tells it, the relationship between the spy agency and La La Land is quite cozy. In his new book, Company Men, Rizzo says that actors, producers, and other movie-making power players were always happy to help out the CIA in any way they could. You work for the very enemy you thought you were fighting. It's impossible. Then tell me why you've never been to Langley. You've been lied to. All lower-level agents have been lied to. So I am trying to help you here. So you're saying I'm working for the enemy? And that you are the enemy? Jimmy, this is your last chance. You have to go. So there you go. It's another example of the breakdown of the social order. When you can't even trust your eyes to tell you that the person that you're looking at is the person that they claim to be, where are we? You know, sometimes you can try to approximate the resonance 
but they can even fuck with that. Like they can tweak frequencies. They can send frequencies out via the analog bandwidth, which has been abandoned and gets you to feel a certain way. Believability, virtue, enthusiasm, whatever. So this gets into where we are. We're at the bridge. We don't, we don't know. We don't know if that's Biden or an actor. Who knows? Maybe it's Obama. Maybe Obama takes a, a, a swipe at the mask every now and then. Who knows? And the voice stuff, I think it's probably pretty easy to approximate as well. I don't think it, it I mean, you have some kind of transcoder person speaks into it. The voice is patterned after the person that is under the mask. I don't, I don't, I mean, we're, we're in a world of deep fakes anyway that use that technology. Why couldn't they just use that technology and apply it? a bit differently keep in mind when she did that with bush that was like the late 80s early 90s he's president from 88 to 92 so it's in that window how far have they come with this technology since then because i mean they didn't abandon that technology when she left they've improved on it so that takes us to the bridge again that's where we are nobody knows who's in charge and even if we think we know who's in charge, there's a pretty good chance they're wearing a mask and they're not who they proclaim to be. So where do we go from here? We go further up river into the heart of darkness. All right. Isn't that a lovely, wonderful, upbeat ending for today's show? Look, I think sometimes this is the, this is the way it is and where it's at. Sometimes we just have to air this stuff out and not be uh, afraid of how it hits us. I do pretty well in that area, honestly. Am I hopeful that we can get through and get on the other side and uh, have, a, yes, I am. But to deny where this is going and where we're at, I think is even more suicidal than looking at it square in the eyes. All right, that's it for today. Jasper, do you have anything you want to say? Let's do a show tomorrow. Um, I'll go live at eight. It'll be an hour because I did go over today. You're getting your money's worth today. Um, We'll go eight to nine tomorrow because I got to get out of here and and head back head into uh, the big city. And then Friday over on uh, the eleventh house, it's the return of Russ Winter because it's the last Friday. Then Sunday night we have Sunday night Astro Life, and Tommy TJ Jordan, his birthday is coming up, so we can start the celebration right now. That's, that's on the horizon. Tom is the gift to the new year. 
All right. Use your head in order to determine what's real. Your heart to seven what's possible. I'm Robert Phoenix. Thanks for being here. Um, have a very interesting 27th of December. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>